0: Hi. Theory. Welcome to High Theory.
1: In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Kim Adams.
0: And I'm Sharonik Bushu.
1: We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself.
0: Brilliant. In this episode, I shall talk with Kim about the death of the author. Okay, so Kim, what the heck is the death of the author?
1: The death of the author is the title of an essay written by Roland Barthes.
0: Can I just copy right there, is that the way we pronounce his name? Because I always get confused. Well, I sometimes get confused.
1: Let us try, in order, pronouncing all of the possibilities. <laughs> okay so at the death of the author by Roland Barth 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 I mean so my, Barth. my yeah my
0: French pronunciation is atrocious we can just move ahead with the podcast please
1: no I like this plan
0: oh I thought it was like Ro- Roland or... Roland isn't it
1: Roland Barth Barth,
0: Barth. Oh God, I hope... Barth <laughs> I really hope people who speak French aren't listening to this um anyway yes Roland so, this was Barth. listened to essay Roland. written by someone. <laughs> An essay written by someone with the initials Barth. RB.
1: Barthes.
0: Barthes, yes. Roland Barthes. Please go on.
1: Okay, so The Death of the Author is this idea by our friend Roland Bart. however we want to say it. Indeed. That the intention of the author. Matters not. Uh-huh. The author, very simply, as his title says, is dead. Right. We don't need the author anymore. We don't need... We don't need the author. ...criticism to try to discover the intentions of the author and thereby explain the work itself. It's against the idea of intentionality. Right. That authorial intention doesn't exist. And what does he substitute instead? The reader. So I will read you the famous last line of the text. Okay. The birth of the reader must be at the cost of the death of the author.
0: Oh, God, that sounds edible
1: in a way. (laughs) Yeah, Uh it is. In fact, the, the the author is a father figure. The author is thought to nourish the book, which is to say that he exists before it, thinks, suffers, lives for it in the same relation of antecedents to his work as a father is to his child.
0: That is creepy, but also interesting because uh, it's sort of like a a deistic conception of God, a God who recedes from creation after creating it.
1: Yeah, but this is much more Nietzschean. It's like, okay, God is dead. Because there is a bit of violence to it. So it's not just that the author has made the thing and now we should let the author recede from view. But in fact, Uh Bart wants to argue that in order to privilege the reader, you have to kill off the author. You have to imagine the text is born with the reading rather than the writing.
0: How do you think we can use this idea? Like, I mean, I I mean this question like semi-seriously. Because I can't remember the last time that I've used BART in my own work to return to the question, how can we use it?
1: There's kind of, I think, two ways of answering that question. And one is just to say that we already are using BART without thinking about it. Like, this idea has crept into our ordinary um engagement with texts mm. and we don't even think about it anymore mm. the way that we are willing to privilege our own interpretations of the text over any sort of imagined authorial intention Right, which I think is really common. Like, in 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 order to do any sort of really good close reading, in a way, uh-huh. w- what you're looking for when you look at all those details is you're not looking for an omniscient author who is incredibly good at putting all the details in. You're not looking for right, the best right. realist, but you're looking for the ways in which language acts through the author. That the author right. is not
0: aware of. How would you make the distinction between say chasing authorial intentionality in the text and like the cult of the author and mm. what i'm saying is like in, in in some cases like the biographical details of the author are quite substantially important in the way that we read the texts yeah and we could always say that those are also part of the reading and not it doesn't matter who the author is, but
1: well, okay, so I, I don't know, let's hold the like cult of the author on the side because I actually find that really fun. It's like one of the reasons I enjoy writing about Gertrude Stein, but
0: she was quite a person.
1: Yeah. <laughs> quite a life,
0: man. <laughs> quite, a life. Um, quite a life.
1: And uh but the, the like the other thing. That I think is worth noting that might sort of help answer this question in a roundabout way, and it like it gets back to your "how do I use this" question uh-huh. um, is maybe even how do you use it in a way that is not about reading literature in the way that is not our ordinary yeah, yeah. student life, right on. Um, which is the idea of doubting individual intentionality. Uh in general the idea that language and culture and the world acts through us much more than we act through it right that all of the words that are coming out of my mouth right now are not so much words that originated in some sort of romantic interiority of my sort of creative essence but are in fact words that came into my head from outside it that like Mm. language is speaking through me that i got this idea from bart and i got the language to articulate it from bart and i also got it from my you know i don't know my ma professor ellen rooney and like a bunch of other people and stuff i read online and like all like there's not there's like less of what you think is you in your head And more of what you think is like consciousness is made up of the world around you, as much as it is made up of you and the inside of your head.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I think you use the word the word world, yeah, and which is a you know it's a great way to my next question. Uh, What I was going to say is like the moment we deprioritize interiority and intentionality and try to sort of think of the world as this sort of very very intricately enmeshed mm. manner like we are all everything is socialized to a degree that we couldn't have imagined before some of that yeah i think there will come or there comes a point where it becomes a little difficult or let's say challenging to sort of define interpersonal relationships Mm-hmm. and they all sort of begin with two really opaque points of interiority. It's it's me and you, me mm-hmm. with capital M and you e with capital U. So do you see like a bridge here somewhere?
1: Yeah, I do. But actually, that's not what I, I was thinking. So when you started talking about this like amazing intermeshed network of of the like society is that much more socialized than mm-hmm. we imagined. I thought the sort of image of the networked world So you were thinking about individual subjectivities and like interpersonal relations. And I was thinking about the sort of individual versus society, the way that we imagine ourselves um, acting as individuals in terms of like the social contract and individual Mm. agents Mm. and maybe if we didn't think of ourselves so much as individuals to begin with, we wouldn't be so worried about maximizing our individual interests.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sort of totally reorients the idea of responsibility. Yeah. uh, Which is definitely something that we need in the world.
1: Yeah. And I I think like the responsibility of the reader is actually Mm. a really important thing to think about now in the world that we live in. like. Uh If we can't expect responsibility from the writers of our public discourse, if we can't expect responsibility from our political figures, then we can perhaps try to shift responsibility onto the readers, or by necessity, responsibility has been shifted onto the readers, right?
0: Right. So you're like in this scenario, uh, the readers are the public and the author is the uh, person spouting discourse. Yes. Or like, not spouting discourse, it's a terrible phrase. But, like, <laughs> saying things. Can you imagine what the discourse fountain looks like? <laughs> it spouts all the discourse? I, I will have nightmares tonight about that.
1: How about I read you the best line of the text as the ending? Uh, And so maybe this is, in fact, the answer to how the death of the author will save the world. In precisely this way, literature, it would be better from now on to say writing. By refusing to assign a secret, an ultimate meaning to the text and to the world as text, liberates what may be called an anti-theological activity an activity that is truly revolutionary since to refuse to fix meaning is in the end to refuse God and his hypostases reason science law oh
0: dear God (laughs) and
1: we'll end on that note right.
0: Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to High Theory.
1: <laughs> Farewell, Enlightenment. Farewell, listeners. <laughs> Farewell, Enlightenment. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Thank you for listening to High Theory.
0: If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or
1: wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharanik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music and Kim Adams edits our audio.
0: You can also find us at hightheory.net.
1: We hope you have a highly theoretical day.